0: I feel connected to my body and connected to being a woman in what it means to me, which is probably closer to the like giving birth, chopping down tree, earthy mother goddess energy than anything else.
1: That was Maya Hawk and this is Shiros, a podcast with a mission to turn up the volume of women's voices in music across genres and generations. I'm Carmel Holt, and what you're about to hear is a previously aired interview from my syndicated public radio show, Shiro's Radio. Shiro's is a deep dive into the experiences and perspectives of women and gender expansive folks in a still overwhelmingly male-dominated music industry. It's a space where we discuss the challenges and triumphs how far we've come and how far we still have to go. Telling our stories is the first step to making music a better space for everyone. There was an article in Spin Magazine a couple years ago with the headline, 30 Actors in Actually Decent Bands. Suffice it to say, the music world can be skeptical of people who attempt to take their talent from the silver screen to the recording studio. And fair enough, the talents don't always translate well. And when the person in question is also the child of celebrities, it seems like the skepticism only increases from there. But once in a great while, there emerges an artistic being that is so irrefutable, whose light shines so bright that it cannot be contained by any one medium, undeniably authentic in whatever shape it takes. So while many of us may know Maya Hawke as the fantastic Stranger Things actress who won the talent gene pool lottery of being the daughter of Uma Thurman and Ethan Hawke, she's equally her own creative force of nature, simply as she describes it, hungry for life, no matter what label her creative expression might have at the moment. Poet, songwriter, singer, actress, visual artist, model, Maya Hawk can shape shift and shine as she very naturally moves between and even blurs the lines between worlds. Her gorgeous and critically hailed second album, Moss, is just out, and I'm thrilled to welcome Maya Hawk as this week's Shiro in the Spotlight. Welcome to Shiro's Radio, Maya Hawk. It's so great to have you here.
0: Thank you so much for having me. It's my absolute pleasure. I love to talk to smart people like you, it's my favorite hobby in the whole world.
1: Well, great. That means that we're gonna have a good time talking about you and about this album. Let's start with how this album came to be.
0: When I made my first record with Jesse Harris, he hired Benjamin Lazar Davis and Will Grafe to be sort of session musicians in our band. And I got to know them a bit with a a level of distance where like they were very much humming into work, you know? And I was trying to figure out how to make this thing and how to learn about the process of making it at the same time, and how to ask questions, and how to be willing to be stupid, and how to start from scratch. And because they were a little bit less well known and a little younger than Jesse, I would start whispering to them and being like, "Hey, what's vocal compression? Like, how does that work? And like, when he says it's a, a side chain, like, what's a side chain? You know, like, and." Through that really was myself around them and really built up a lovely dynamic. And then we were on tour in the Berkshires playing a concert at the barn and they sat down at the piano and started writing a song together. And I was listening to them make music and I was like, holy smokes, like these people who are playing in my band are brilliant and such unique instrumentalists and composers and singers and speakers. And Then I started talking to Ben and was like, hey, would you ever want to write a song with me? And at the time, Ben Orwell had never written music to a finished poem before, which at that time, the only way I knew about collaboratively writing songs other than writing songs just by myself, it was me kind of handing a finished poem over to a musician and going from that point. And he was like, I've never done that, but I would try. And that's where the first song that was written for the record, Bloomed Into Blue, came from was I Sent Ben a Poem. And then we had Bloomed Into Blue and Mermaid Bar and Therese, which all felt very much like of a world to me that I'd written with Ben. They're all kind of slightly more poetically dense. And it was this thing I was experimenting with with Ben that I hadn't really done on my first record, which was not working that hard to make the poem a song like Poems are already very musical. I write normally in verse and with a lot of focus on rhythm and meter and rhyme scheme and syllable count. And I'm very interested in old poetic forms. But oftentimes, when I'm sort of translating my poetic ideas into song ideas, there's a simplification that takes place because the music adds such an emotional weight to the written word that you can be a little more basic, the simplest way of saying the feeling, not the newest way or the weirdest way. It's like sometimes it's, it's best if it's just the simplest way. But I started experimenting with Ben because he writes very complicated rhythms with sending him the most complicated way, at least in my head. And that's the origin of this record. And we were going to make an EP of those three songs in like three days in LA in between a movie that I was going to film and going back to Stranger Things. And then the movie fell through and I had two weeks off instead of three days. And I called Ben about... Two months before, and I was like, "Hey, I have two weeks. What if we made a record?" And he was like, "Yeah, okay." And then we got Will Grave involved and Christian Lee Hudson, who I'd never met at the time but was familiar with his work. And I just sort of started sending poems to everyone. And it was in a very emotionally raw place for me. It was like year two of the pandemic. I'd been working. I'd gone through a pretty devastating breakup. I was really newly negotiating my relationship to my family as an adult. I'd sort of run out of childhood as fast as I could to become an adult. And then the pandemic happened and it was sort of like, okay, for me, I was just sort of like thrust back into childhood and like, okay, I'm back at home now. And like, I guess that's the place that it makes sense for me to be. I'm 21 and it's a global emergency. So I I guess it makes more sense for me to be here than in my apartment alone in the city, but who am I in this context now? Have I actually dealt with the pain from childhood or the issues and struggles from high school? And how do I condense all that and figure out who I am and figure out what kind of adult I wanna be and what kind of sister, mother, brother, lover, uh, daughter, friend, like who do I wanna be to the people that I love? And it was a very tumultuous time for me of figuring that out and this record in no way was like a conclusion to those thoughts. It was more like a breaking out from being stuck inside like a little box in my head and sort of starting to really go through it all and be like, okay, here I am. This is who I want to be. This is what I'm thinking. And then when it was over, I felt like something shifted into place that had never been there before. Something good, something new. So I think this record is sort of like a breaking point record. For me, that came right in the catalyst turning point from a a bad time into a good time.
1: Wow. There's so much there to unpack and to respond to, but I'd love to go right into a song here.
0: Yeah, I might start with Over because of what I was saying about these sort of bottoms that are catalysts towards positive shifts. And a lot of of the work on this album is art about art. And I like doing it that way. And I like writing about art in my own songwriting and in my own writing because It also feels like it mirrors my creative process as a musician in that like I write a poem and send it to a musician who writes music and the poem is inspired by a painting or a poem I've read and this kind of this cycle of inspiration that's like waves crashing on the shore, which is I think how we all are to each other. You get a little energy from the wave behind you and then you rise and then you crash and hopefully give energy to the wave coming after you. And this song is based on a Robert Browning poem called *Porphyria's Lover, about a young girl who is sort of, has a lover and explains that she can't be with him really. And rather than let her go and let her decide to be with someone else or be herself, he decides to murder her and it's a part of a theme and a lineage of poems by men, mostly where you sort of kill women into art, where the solution to the Madonna horror problem is if you just murder her while she's still a perfect angel virgin then she'll always stay a perfect angel virgin and so this is a song kind of from porphyria's point of view where she doesn't let herself get murdered and kind of escapes back out into the woods and runs away and reclaims her life
2: over over i come over it's october i explain that i'm said you
1: is here with us on Shiro's radio. The new album is called Moss and that's over. You were talking about the process of collaborating and how you did this record. And I was thinking as you were mentioning all of these people that you were collaborating with, how many men were involved. The things that you're sharing, the things that you're saying, I was thinking about turning all of that over. It's gotta be a very special trust and kind of a man to take that and put it to music.
0: Yeah. I mean, I love the men I work with and I just played three shows in LA and my dad came to one of them or two of them. And one of the things he said when he walked out was he was like watching those four unspeakably talented men sit on stage with you and sing high harmonies over your lyrics was one of the most beautiful acts of like gender inclusivity or men supporting women or it felt very beautiful to him to feel like I was being so held in that space and supported and encouraged and it wasn't on purpose that I found myself working with all men for the most part on this record at all but I just sort of ran into these individuals yeah in my life and through the world getting to work with them consistently and getting to know them as artists and as people and and feeling deeply seen and and held by them. It's been one of the greatest luxuries of my life to get to collaborate in this way. And I'm so grateful for the collaborative soulmates I have found regardless of their gender or sex or organs or parts or orientation or whatever stuff we pile on top of ourselves as our little like wormy souls vibrate through the universe.
1: And I thought the same thing when I saw you perform, by the way. I mean, there was something about it that was really beautiful and you could feel it in the energy between you and the players that were with you. They're my best friends, you know? Yeah. Well, I was curious about your background with music. I think many people know you as an actor and was wondering where music came into the picture for you. And you said something before about art and how one thing influences the other. Yeah, I mean, I think as a young person, that
0: sort of permeability and exploration kind of makes you a precocious dilettante. But I think if you keep being a precocious dilettante long enough with enough heart and care, by the time you grow up, you're something else. And I don't know what that something else will be, but I look forward to that as well. And I have a lot of energy, like to the point of being a slightly exhausting person, I think sometimes to be around. And and I don't mean that in like a backhanded compliment way. I mean, like. I really chew on the day and I'm constantly taking my own temperature and constantly taking the temperature of the people that I'm around. It's a lot. But the good side of it is that I get really excited and inspired and want to make things. And I've been making music and listening to music and loving music for as long as I've been alive. I've never felt like a particularly extraordinary musician or even like above average musician in any way, I feel like a competent singer and a competent writer. And I think because I have such an intense acting background and collaboration is an inherent part of making anything, I don't have any embarrassment about collaboration. And I translate that into my relationship with music and my relationship to all the things I want to do. I know I have limitations and incapabilities. And I would much rather be as good as I could possibly be together in a group than I would like to be average alone. And some people are like truly extraordinary lightning bolt beams of people who can do everything by themselves. Yeah, I'm just not one. Yeah. And I get so much energy from other people. Yeah. In the same way that I got energy from Robert Browning or energy from Tress Dreaming. I get energy from other people's energy. And I don't even necessarily mean that in the woo-woo way. I mean it in like the very practical, physical energy way.
1: We have Maya Hawk with us on Shiro's radio. The new album is called Moss. where should she go next? Musically speaking.
0: Um, I'm enjoying trying to make it feel integrated into the conversation. It feels like it could make sense to play Terese now.
1: Talk to us about Terese and I'm so curious. I don't know much about the video, only what I saw.
0: The basic premise is that there's like a nighttime bacchanalia happening outside that's very free and unencumbered and unself-conscious and not vain, which is sort of the same way that I describe the way that I felt as a kid, looking at Therese in Therese dreaming the Balthus painting that's hanging at the Met, and she seemed to me as a kid—I wasn't thinking about her creator or her painter or the situation of the real person in the room in that moment. To me, in the same way that when I watched Scooby-Doo, Daphne Blake was a real person. When I went through the Met and I saw Torres dreaming, Torres was a real person to me, and. The real person I saw in the painting seemed unselfconscious, liberated, free, in her own space, in her own head. And that was so inspiring to me. And I felt like I could see myself in a painting at the Met where most of them were like women in corsets and swinging on swings like Fragonard. Like I I couldn't see myself anywhere, but I saw myself in this painting and I wanted to be like her. I wanted to be free and not thinking about whoever was looking at me. And I think that there is this time when we're prepubescent where we're so explorative. We don't suck in our guts and we don't like worry about our table manners and we're sexually explorative with our own bodies and like with our friends and our thoughts and our imaginations. And there's this like deeply unencumbered sense of self that exists as a baby and a young kid, you know, we're like, you'll see a kid peeing on the grass and we're like, no, don't do that. Or, you know, whatever it is. um, You don't know what's appropriate. And there's this freedom in that. And then as we go through puberty, the kind of gaze of society turns on us, turns on our manners, on our body, on our sexuality, on our everything. And you start existing for the way that people see you, not the way that you are. And so I wanted to build this kind of space in the woods. I mean, first of all, it wasn't my idea. I'm kind of describing it like it was my idea, the video. It was Brady Corbet, who's an amazing director's idea, based on these beautiful photographs he showed me from the last century and based on his impressions from the song. But the reason that I wanted to do his idea is because of everything that I'm saying about the interconnectivity of the way this song and related to the idea to me. But we wanted to build this sort of free, liberated, bacchanalia, where everyone felt like they were sexual without being sexualized. And I will say like, anytime you ever film anything like that, it's always the least sexual thing that ever happens in your whole life. It's not what it looks like. It's actually like a finger in an armpit. It's very medical and mechanical. But even doing it, I felt the least self-conscious about my body that I felt in a long time. It's like nighttime out in the grass, beautifully lit with this kind of old-fashioned lighting technique where you would take one spotlight and reflect it from mirror to mirror to mirror. So there's sort of that freedom, that prepubescent exploration, even though all the people in it are adults, obviously. But there's this kind of striving of these adults, these young people, to get back to that childhood exploration feeling. And then in the same way that there was this controversy about the painting, And my opinion of the way that the person in the painting felt to me had to be shifted by the consideration of the creator, by the consideration of the model, by the consideration of the context, like the context of being a woman. Context does matter, but it's also a trap. It's everything, you know? So these voices from the outside came in and took away that freedom, took away the purity of my dynamic with the painting in the same way that society comes in and takes away the purity of your sexual exploration by telling you that you're not allowed to take your top off on the beach anymore because now you have boobs and your boobs matter to other people even if they don't matter to you, so cover them. So that's when this lineup is happening as kind of the encroaching mind police, like either the real police or the mind police or whatever you want to call it that's breaking up this sort of Ceremonial place of freedom and making everyone feel ashamed and marching them out of the woods, out of freedom and nymphy peace and into something else. And then, sort of the attempt of that last shot is that yes, you're walking out of the woods, but you're walking out defiantly at the same time. And that's kind of what the video is trying to achieve. And. What the song is trying to achieve is like, it's tactless, it's a test, it's just Therese. It's like, it's womanhood, it's sexuality, it's personhood, it's gross, it's, I don't know, but it's it's actually just a person. It's actually just me.
2: I go see Therese dreaming. She's stretching out her sore shoulder. Leaning back, eyes closed, reaching up. She's wishing she was older. Dreaming of an Appaloosa saddled up, riding out of town. Dreaming of a Shelby Cobra, digging her tires in the ground. Bleeding, bringing in a New Year's mess. Unaware of the stain on her dress. It's tactless, it's a test. It's just a rest. It's just a rest.
1: My Hawk here with us on Shiro's Radio. The new album is called. Moss, and that's As You were talking about that song and about the video and sexuality and reconnecting with that childhood innocence. Tell us about your experience so far from all sides of art that you make with gender, with being a woman in those male-dominated spaces.
2: I
0: guess I would say it's obviously complicated. I'm lucky enough that there have been times where I felt like it was nothing where I felt totally unencumbered by my gender and totally seen by collaborators and friends and situations as a person and as a mind. And those have been really incredible. And I've gotten to work with some really amazing women. I'm I'm actually in the house of one of them right now. This woman named Jen Caton Robinson who directed Do Revenge, which is this movie that came out. And she is so inspiring to me. And watching her run her set with grace and compassion and ferocity and anger and joy and precision was one of the most inspiring things that have ever happened to me. So In a lot of ways, I've had a very blessed experience of being a girl and a woman in the world. I really would have answered this question so differently on any different day. If we talked about it yesterday or tomorrow, I'm always changing and thinking different things. But right now, I guess I would say it's all about context again. And that the thing that I am noticing about living in my girl body is that, the context that you are put in is so often a little off of who you are. Like I showed that dress video to a friend of mine before it was out and they said something to me like, why do you only show one of your boobs? And I was like, what do you mean? And he was like, well, if you'd showed both of them, it would have been hot, it would have been sexy. And if you showed none of them, I would have been able to focus on your performance but just showing one, I like can't focus on your performance and it's not sexy, it's like weird. And I was like, you've answered your own question, my friend. Like that is why I showed one of them because I didn't mean it to be sexy. It's just a part of my body. And like I'd show one shoulder or one elbow, that's just me and you're adding all this context onto my breasts, two breasts, no breasts, your focus, your attention, what matters to you, what distracts you. And the point of showing one is to remind you that it's a body. It's not a billboard. It's not a Coke commercial. It's a body. And if you separate it out into little pieces, they're all just little body parts. And I play into this in my own way. I'm not giving up all the responsibility here. But for example, I like went on tour opening for Faye Webster recently and it was amazing and I had the best time. I love the people who care about my music. I love the people who come to those shows and they're mostly all young women which is amazing but sometimes even the way that they consume me feels more sexual than I'm trying to be in the way that I'm relating to my music or in the way that I'm relating to the moment or the way that I've seen like The internet, like, try to consume and solve the riddle of my sexuality or the way that the focus has been on my beauty and, like, am I as beautiful as my mother? Am I less? Am I as this? Am I that? Am I thinner? Am I, you know, all these things. And it's all fine for me in my experience. Like, that's the outside. And my job is to create magical, beautiful inside that will be misinterpreted by some and loved by others. And that's okay. But it definitely is a challenge to be a person who deeply wants to be understood and often feeling like I run into these hurdles that are even sometimes well-intentioned misunderstandings of me. So there's that. And then there's, of course, the way that all those things impact Your internal psychology and impact your relationship to your body and body dysmorphia and your own insecurity about your beauty even though you think that's not important or the way that like oh my god my audience is relating to me sexually i should try to dance sexy right now to give them the thing that they wait no like that's not how this works is it or sometimes i am sexy and feel sexy and like want to be sexy and Okay, now I'll do that. Like, I just did a Calvin Klein underwear commercial and like, I had fun. And like, I like those pictures and I feel sexy there. And like, that is about being sexy. It's like a a lineage of sexiness and that's the brand. And, but that's different to me than my TerreSt video. And like, I mean them very differently and specifically. And I think there's a nuance that the world has trouble having nuanced conversations about anything, including sexuality and gender and art. So I'm continuing to work and discover and understand and try to carve out spaces for myself that feel true. And in doing of that, carve out spaces for others that feel true and real and where they can be themselves and be sexual without being sexualized.
1: Until we can get to that place, which you described so well, of just being seen as a person and not as your gender. Yeah. Until we can get to that place, I want to be here, especially for the music community, to give voice to those experiences, to start to break down some of those barriers. I don't know how else you do it without the dialogue.
0: Me neither. I mean, you know, and I feel really lucky, like, in terms of gender presentation, I really got to grow up feeling like it was all costumes, (laughs) Like, I got to, you know, sit with my mom while she got her hair and makeup done before going to the Met Ball. And I got to ride horses with my mom and be in the room while she was giving birth and like while she chopped down trees and dress up like a cowboy and sit with my dad on sets of cowboy movies and like talk in Southern accents and practice spitting on the ground and wear jackets and pants and boots. And all of those different places of like humanity and then gender performance, whether it's the Met Ball gown or the cowboy outfit, all felt like gender performance and felt to me like something you could choose to go either way at any time in terms of your performance and what character you were playing. And so I feel connected to my body and connected to being a woman in what it means to me, which is probably closer to the like, giving birth chopping down tree earthy mother goddess energy than anything else but I I love getting dressed up and putting on a gown and like cosplaying a princess for the night it doesn't feel like me in the same way that it doesn't feel like me when I like sit down with the boys and like try to be cool and like it all feels like play and I think that's a, a deep privilege that I got to grow up with, with this understanding of like gender as play. And so many people don't get to grow up with that. And the rules feel so fixed. And I've really only started noticing that as I've gotten older and enter spaces where I'm like, oh, you don't know I'm joking. Like, I'm in this ball gown right now on this and you don't know I'm joking. Like, and you think that this is me or like I'm doing this Calvin Klein underwear commercial and you don't know I'm joking. And I don't know if I'm making sense when I say the word joking, but like, I'm, I'm joking, sort of. But it, the jokes mean such intense things to people or even like when I'll dress up like a man and like, or wear a big suit to a premiere and like, and then everyone draws all these conclusions because of that. And I'm like, oh, these things that I saw as costume pieces bear so much societal and cultural significance. And I need to figure out how to fit into the context of that Mm -hmm. and both respect the histories of all those things and exist as myself, who is just this kind of player, you know?
1: I mean, that's so subversive. That's amazing. Can we talk about Sweet Tooth before we wrap up? That's one of my favorites on the record. You know, you just mentioned your mom and so many great qualities that you had as a role model in her. Can you talk to us about this song a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I think
0: to loop back to the thing I was talking about earlier in the conversation about my energy, I'm a very hungry person, very hungry for life, hungry for experience, sometimes to the point of like being self-sabotaging and like a bit of a bull in a china shop. And I think that what this song is really about is sometimes i feel like a little kid who like found the box of oreos and has eaten so many that now they have to throw up and they have to like go to their mom and be like i ate too much sugar i know that you tell me sometimes that i'm eating too much sugar and i say like too much sugar but now i've eaten too much and i feel sick i didn't listen but i can admit i'm wrong and i now i need help and that i think is the kind of core of what this song is about. And then it's also is strung through it is like the last stanza of the song is, so everybody loves you and every little bit helps. I broke my bone, it was the worst she ever felt. It's also about the dynamic of motherhood and how you make this person, who you then have to take care of and care for and then let out into the world, whether that's just like letting them go free on the playground or letting them go free into the playground of adult life. And you have to trust that they're going to be okay. And then they go and hurt themselves, either physically or emotionally. And the pain of that experience and the weight of it and the responsibility that is on mothers to facilitate their children's independence while still caring for them and still caring for themselves and having their own identity outside of their children's pain and outside of their children's joy and how difficult that is and how much that is to carry. So I think sort of about those two things. And then it's probably, I mean, I guess I'm I'm feeling very comfortable with you and sort of being fully on. And then it's probably also about like, you know, I've had a deeply privileged childhood that has been incredibly fortunate and wonderful. And that's also very much the outward projection of it because if there's one thing of like wealth privilege which you can actually I mean I've watched many people do it be very sneaky about you can hide that to a certain degree no one knows where you come from or what your childhood was like but the fame privilege is so public and everyone has drawn conclusions about what your life was like before they meet you or know you and sometimes the conclusions are like, oh, she must be a drug addict. Like, that must have been a mess. That must have been awful. And sometimes the conclusion's are like, oh, it must be a spoiled brat. And there is truth everywhere. If you can think it, there's aspects of truth in everywhere you look. And also a lot of untruth. And I think this song is also about the other piece, which is that my stories aren't just mine, as no one's are. But my stories are both mine and they belong to other people in the public eye who also have their own right to tell their own story and have their own right to privacy. And people will think things about them and ask them about those things. And so the song is also about this kind of greater context of deeply wanting to tell your story and be personal and be true. And then also protecting this other privacy and also having to present this image of everything being perfect to protect everyone, which it wasn't always. And yet it was good enough that like, I like myself. And that's always been the thing that I have said about parenthood is like, when I let go of my anger, I realized that I liked myself. And if I was raised in a way where I got to grow up and like myself, that's the most you can ask, you know? I mean, like, that's amazing. So that's what this song is about to me. And there's a line in it that's like, I search frantic for the moonlight, I'm a bat, I get cold beneath the stars. And instead I found a sound bite of someone I love saying something mean and hard which I think is also in conversation with this idea of like, this is a positive example of it versus a negative one. But like when I made that to rest video, my dad went on the view a couple days later. Um, I think it was the view. And like, they asked him about it. And he had to like be a grown man who was sitting on a talk show, like on live television being asked about this very intense thing. And the funny thing is that really he loves me. Like, and loves it, and loves my art, and loves me as an artist. But it's the weight of the context of what other people think he should think about it. And what a complicated conversation that is to have, where it's like, oh, I have real feelings about this, and then I know what you think I'm gonna feel, which is like, you think you're gonna make me uncomfortable right now. Like, you think you're gonna make me be like, oh yeah, geez, my daughter, out of control. But that's not how he feels at all. But if you go and watch that clip, he handles it so beautifully. And it's so impressive. But because I am in a professional family, we're all both in conversation with each other and in conversation with the world to a degree. And that is complicated.
2: Told my mother that I love her and that I'd like to be accountant if she
1: it's been so amazing to hang out with you today. I could literally talk to you all day. Thank you so much. I hope that this is the first of many times that we'll talk. Before we say goodbye for the day, I was just wondering if there's anything coming into this conversation that you maybe wanted to talk about Uh, that we didn't cover? Yeah, I think that a big theme of this record for me is
0: in defense of the muses. I think there have been so many brilliant women throughout history who ended up being the catalyst for the great work of men Mm. and their energy and specialness and spark inspired people, but they didn't get to have their own voice and articulate their own art. And Those women have always been very interesting to me. There's a great book about it called Heroines that I read kind of around the time that I started writing and working on this record. I am deeply excited and energized by getting to be in a time where I get to be a creator and not a muse. And I recognize that fortune and I recognize the history of the absence of that. And this record in many ways is in conversation with that history and in conversation with the joy of getting to take my top off in a music video and getting to have a conversation like this about it and not the kind that would happen 10 years ago. And that's cool. And then I I guess there's the other thread, which is it's really like a, a love record too. And is full of romance, of heartbreak and the mundanity of falling in love. I guess I'd love you to go out on backup plan because to me it's like a deeply romantic song, partially because I'm a person who doesn't ever do a very good job of falling out of love with people. Like relationships stop working but i don't fall out of love really
2: your pencils your dress socks your charger your bike lock anything that's not in your junk drawer
1: Hi, Hawk. Thanks again for being here. What a beautiful conversation and congratulations once again on this gorgeous new collection. Moss is the new record. Thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. Many thanks once again to Maya Hawk for being with us. Her new album, Moss, is out now on Mom & Pop. She Rose is produced by me, is mixed and mastered by Kelly Drake. We get production assistance from Emma Philippos. Our original theme music is by Lucius. She Rose is also a nationally syndicated radio show. You can visit SheRoseRadio.com to find out more and support our work with Patreon or merch from the She Rose shop. Keep in touch on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at Carmel Holt or find us at She Rose Radio. And Please consider leaving us a rating and review wherever you listen to your podcast. That helps us grow and bring you more shiros. Until next time, remember, music is our superpower. I'm Carmel Holt. Thanks for listening.